After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal! Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go! We are kicking. Watch the blue! Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah, baby. Number 47 for Boston. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! Please move it! The day we are recording this is the actual day of Festivus, December the 23rd. But Josh, you know, the Scouting the Rest podcast is kind of the weekly airing of grievances, wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, I feel like we, we get that opportunity to air those grievances or to discuss those who have aired their own grievances and perhaps <laughs> been penalized for doing so. Those feeling aggrieved have an outlet on the yes. Scouting the Rest podcast. Maybe that's the way we should look at this, is we're, we're bringing people together. We're a healing group. <laughs> yes, it's, it's positive. You know, ultimately, the grievances get aired and the, and the positive energy returns. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, and there are special savings available for you with our Manscaped partnership. Make sure you use our special code REFS, R-E-F-S, for your order at manscaped.com. You receive 20% off your order and free shipping. You know, we are into this important part of the, the festive celebrations and the festive season that are taking place. And one of the most important things is wanting to be able to unwrap the package without a lot of fuss. I mean, there's the suspense building as you begin to open and then can quickly turn to frustration as you 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 can't open that package and enjoy it. That 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 of course means that you need the right tools to open the package from Manscaped. Nobody wants to excitedly tear into a package and be obstructed by all, all kinds of debris and packing material. <laughs> when when you present a package to someone, you should be cognizant of the big reveal. You want you want them to see the wonder and excitement in their eyes and not the what the heck am I supposed to do with this kind of look? Don't you think it's it's important to spend just a few minutes making sure that you create a thoughtful presentation. Each of the amazing grooming products from Manscaped are built with this in mind. The Lawnmower 4.0, the Weed Whacker, other grooming tools, the full line of grooming products help with the presentation. So take the time you've decided that this is something that you want to share with someone close. Let them enjoy it fully. Don't you think, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. There's nothing worse than getting the gift, wanting to enjoy the gift, and you've got wrapping paper, tape, you got a bow stuck to your forehead. There's just a mess <laughs> everywhere. And it's, uh, it, you know, it does take away. And, and Manscaped can help you avoid that altogether. More than 4 million men worldwide can't be wrong. Go to manscaped.com. Use our code REFS for your purchase. You get 20% off. You get free delivery. Please do it now. Please make sure you're following us on our social channels. For Josh, it's at Scouting the Refs on Twitter and on Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on both Twitter and Instagram as well. Okay, on this week's episode, hey, keep that mask on. Nothing for Lozon for hitting from behind. Brett Connolly gets four. And it's a goal even if the puck doesn't go into the net. Oh, we haven't had that one for a while, have we, Josh? No, we haven't. I mean, typically the puck goes in, it's a goal, but it doesn't have to be that way. Not always. All right. That's the teaser for a little bit later on. So over the weekend, I am watching the Edmonton Oilers and Seattle Kraken game, and I'm looking forward to seeing these two teams. And I see Jeremy Lozon drive Colton Sevier into the boards from behind. 
Now, as I'm watching the game, I shouted out at this call and I watched the replays. And despite the arguments of Kevin Bieksa, who tried to clumsily explain that this wasn't a bad hit, the numbers seemed visible to me. Lozon had time to really lessen, if not avoid, hitting Colton Sevier face first into the dasher board. Yet he didn't. But neither Wes McCauley nor John McIsaac saw fit to call this as a penalty. And I'm a little puzzled as to why that didn't happen, Josh. I'm with you, Todd, right there. I saw it. I thought for sure we were looking at a minor penalty. Didn't look like it was necessarily enough for a major. And keep in mind, if the officials on the ice did call a major, they would have the option to review it and confirm the major penalty or potentially downgrade it to a minor. So I know the league doesn't want to officiate by replay, but that option does exist. If nothing else, I would have expected that they did call the minor on the play. It was so clearly right through the numbers, right into the boards, looked like it was textbook boarding as under Rule 41, a player who checks or pushes a defenseless opponent that causes them to impact the boards violently or dangerously based on severity. That's what determines if it's a minor or major. So to me, minor penalty at least based on the play. So a little surprising to see that no penalty was called and not even after the fact a fine from player safety. It, it is a puzzling set of circumstances. And I think there's an important part of that rule that you just reminded us about as well. The hit itself doesn't have to be a violent act. I mean, if the player approaching the one that is facing the boards doesn't have to be going at breakneck speed. It is the result of the play. It's the causing a player to crash violently into the boards. That's the important part. Right. And that's what we're looking at with boarding. We also have the option on this play of the checking from behind rule where you've got 43-1 covering a player who's not aware of that impending hit, unable to protect or defend himself, and contact is made on the back of his body. So you're juggling the definitions of those two rules and, and figuring out which one it falls under. The check from behind, there's no minor penalty for that, so we're looking really at a major. That's why I'm saying in this case, I, I could see the hit falling under either. And to me, that, that minor for boarding was at least the call there. We'll just have to let that one go. Oh, did I say that? Let, let go. Let it, ooh, let it go. Something like that. Uh, okay. Now, there was a check that did get plenty of attention and the full treatment. Brett Connolly hit Tanner Caro in the Hawks-Stars game. Caro sees the puck on the stick of Alexander Radulov behind him, and the Stars forward begins to turn up the ice from the left face-off circle in his own end, Connolly sees the play developing, understands that there might be an opportunity to maybe initiate contact. It's a chance to turn the puck over, maybe keep the attack going in the zone. However, the puck, instead of going to Caro, is shot high off the glass, something that I didn't see the first time I watched this on my phone. Connolly keeps motoring and absolutely demolishes Caro. The star's forward left on a stretcher, fortunately, seems to be doing well. Connolly got five in a game, which was absolutely the right call. And I suspect before he'd even undressed, he was notified that he was having a hearing with the Department of Player Safety. The result is a four-game suspension. There was no previous history. But again, this is an easy suspension to give from the Department of Player Safety. Absolutely. And we don't always see them for interference. It's, it's kind of a play where you're getting in the way of a guy. And in this case a guy who doesn't have the puck. And more often than not, we see some of the more dangerous or more violent checks on guys who are able to be legally checked. That was not the case here on Kiro. He had, as you mentioned, that had the puck on the boards, not anywhere near him. So the first thing we look at, and the first thing player safety would be looking at is 
was this player eligible to be checked on this play? And he was not. So that's what makes it interference. And then we look at the rule and the specific definition under 56.1. There's a few different categories because interference is very broad. And one of the subsections covers a pick, which is how this would have been classified as a player who checks an opponent not in possession of the puck, unaware of the impending check or hit. So under those guidelines, they look at the suspension, and that's when they look at the degree of violence of the hit. Now, Connolly had plenty of opportunities, like you mentioned, Todd. Change his course, slow down, minimize impact, anything to lessen the blow he delivered a solid body check uh, he drove straight through the guy and it was uh, a hit that it didn't appear he held up on one that he wasn't trying to minimize impact and, and that's why he gets four games so i think it was the right call in the game and, and the right call here he might not have intended to do it it might not have been him targeting or headhunting or going after somebody to take them out he may have been looking to deliver a legal body check but because of the rest of the circumstances and because he didn't do anything to lessen it he sits for four. Right. And that that does make sense. I can understand, again, from Connolly's point of view, you're trying to anticipate the play. As I said, the it's a question of whether or not Caro is going to receive the pass or what's going to happen with the puck. But you have the play right in front of you. You see it developing. And as you rightly pointed out, first of all, the player is not eligible to be checked because the puck is nowhere near him. And you had the opportunity to at least slow down a little bit, maybe try to catch or bear hug the player if you're going to make that impact. But none of that was done. It was just the train kept on running down the tracks. Yeah. And if, you, if you're going to do that, and we've seen it, we talked about it last week on the podcast as well. We had Jacob Truba from the Rangers with a few of those hits where a guy was on the tracks. It was a head down. It was the player being checked to put himself in a dangerous spot. But in those cases, the player had the puck. The, pay, the player was eligible to be checked on those plays, and it didn't apply here. So that's why we're looking at the difference between those hits and this one that resulted in a suspension. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. It's brought to you by Manscaped. Special savings are available for you at manscaped.com when you use our code REFS at checkout. R-E-F-S. You get 20% off your order and you get free shipping. Okay, there were a couple of other unusual circumstances that I wanted to touch on on this week's show. It was a real tricky sequence of events in the Minnesota-Dallas game this past week. Joel Erickson-Eck of the Wild got dinged for a holding call that he really didn't think much of, and he kind of chirped referee Gord Dwyer pretty good after it. The Stars scored in the power play, then on his next shift, Erickson Eck gets crunched against the boards by the Stars' Yanni Hockenpah and winds up getting injured on the play. There was no penalty called, and I, I can see how there might have been a holding or roughing call maybe there. It wasn't the most egregious body check, and we're kind of waiting on word to see how long Erickson Eck is, is going to be out. But the other half of this situation is if Erickson Eck had been given a penalty for squawking at the referee, he may not have been out on the ice to suffer that injury if you really want to stretch the <laughs> elastic far. Yeah, and it, it is quite a stretch, but a, a valid, valid thought here. It's, it's funny when you look at it and go, well, if the ref had just called him for chirping, he would have avoided an injury completely. And certainly we don't, we don't know what else may have transpired there. But that was put out there by the Athletics' Michael Russo, great writer, great supporter of the officials. And in this case, just wondering out loud, you know, when we look at the impact of a call or a missed call, or in this case, 
The Minnesota bench felt that those calls were very similar. Erickson gets penalized when he's the one doing it. And in, in that case, it looked like John Klingberg clamped down pretty good and was holding to draw that call. So it may have contributed to getting the whistle there. But then he doesn't get the same type of penalty drawn when he's in the reverse situation later on. So interesting take there from the wild bench. And then looking at, well... When you're chirping to complain about the penalty that you were called on and you don't get penalized, well, maybe the whole thing would have changed. It's a, a butterfly <laughs> effect. It would have been, he's not on the ice. This play doesn't happen. That injury doesn't happen. Maybe there's no penalty here. And it's it's amazing how, when you break it down that way, like, like Russo said, one call or non-call, as much as officials don't want to decide the game, every call or non-call is a decision. And each one of those has the potential to decide the game. And that's more reason that we want consistency and we want things to be called in a way that everybody understands and is clear on so that the officials don't feel like they're not deciding the game by not blowing the whistle or calling penalties because every time you do it or you don't do it, it affects the outcome. And, and yes, Michael Russo taking us down that rabbit hole this week. <laughs> That's the argument that so many make when the suggestion is, oh, just let them play, let the players decide. Well, but if you do that and it goes too far, then, well, anarchy rules and it's uh, it's it's prison yard hockey is what happens out there. Well, if, I mean, if you want to take it that far and let the players play and let them decide, you're going to see prison hockey. You're going to see guys get injured. You're going to see unfair situations. You're going to see the puck change hands based on penalties and not on takeaways or proper hockey plays. And it, it's going to devolve into a, just an absolute mess. And nobody wants that. So... That's where let them play ultimately gets to. At some point, you have to draw a line. And uh, I think the hope from all is that everyone knows where that line is and that line is consistent because letting them play is great as long as they're playing within the rules. And that's why the officials are out there. Old time hockey. There you go. Uh, <laughs> a couple of other things to make mention of as well. Jordan Bennington, the St. Louis Blues goaltender, ran afoul of the officials when he took his mask off. There was a coming together of Dakota Josh and Christian Valainen in the crease area, and there was contact with Bennington that caused him to lose his stick, and one of the straps on his mask came undone. Bennington wasn't getting noticed that he had this issue or had this problem, and took the mask off and tossed it towards referee T.J. Luxmore, who promptly rang him up for two minutes. And it's one thing if a goalie has a strap come loose or has an equipment issue, but taking your mask off and tossing it towards the referee is probably not the way to get his attention. No, it, uh, Luxmore's expression, too, was a bit incredulous, like, hey, what'd you just do? All right, I got to <laughs> blow the whistle and stop play now because, uh, yeah, you want to you want people to let him play and here you've got a goalie taking his lid off to stop play so something you certainly can't do and it's not that his helmet came off it's it's how it came off that determines what happens on this play because you can't take your helmet off to get the stoppage under rule 96 that covers helmets the goaltender's helmet might be knocked off or displaced even that's not an immediate whistle but you certainly can't remove it to secure a stoppage of play and that's what happened here so a strap broken doesn't entitle you to remove your mask. And uh, it was funny, Todd. I, I had a debate with some folks on it about, well, it's not a safe situation. But the rule doesn't say that it needs to be a safe situation. The rule doesn't say that just because your equipment is defective that you get a whistle. We've seen goalies play with a lost skate blade. We've seen guys have the strap of their leg pad come undone. Uh, we've lost gloves, a blocker, a catcher, a stick. All of those can create a potentially unsafe scenario, but none of them give the officials the ability to stop 
play. So it's unfortunate. And, you know, we certainly don't want to see somebody get hurt. But that doesn't entitle you to say, hey, my my mask is broken. I'm going to throw it and toss it and get a whistle and stop play. If you do that, you'll get a penalty. And it was the right call. So, uh, you know, good on Luxmore for doing it. But I know Blues fans were were not not happy with the call. I agree with you that it should be you want the the circumstances on the ice to be safe. And yes, we've seen players lose gloves, whether it's a, a, a skater or a, or a goaltender. But was it was it Braden Holtby a couple of years ago who was shaking his mask loose on occasion and getting convenient whistles? Am I yeah, remembering that correctly? Uh, unfortunately, he's there. There are a few who've done it, but Holtby comes to mind as the most memorable. And even he wasn't brazen enough to to take it off with his glove, but to to shake it or snap his head back to try to dislodge the mask. And, I, and he got away with that a couple times. I will say that I I know and I, I'd seen it firsthand a couple times when he was getting warned for specifically doing that. And Bennington was warned earlier in this game as well when his mask came off. So the, the thing that, that strikes me, Todd, is all these guys, multi-million dollar goaltenders, billion dollar hockey teams. Maybe we can put some money into these straps. <laughs> I, I I think you're right. I you know maybe this is an area that needs just that little extra bit of attention. I I think that'd be reasonable. And it, it's a great point that you make about having the conversation with the officials because that comes into play in our next game situation with the Caps and the Kings. LA forward Blake Lazat did not agree with a hooking call he received about halfway through the third period, and is often the case. Lazat expressed his disagreement with the call. We see players do this all the time. He did make, I guess, a small gesture of extending his arms to kind of emphasize the point, saying he disagreed. But it really didn't appear to be too far out of line. Now, I guess it wasn't the gesture, but it was something that was said by Lazat that earned him a rarely called abuse of officials penalty. Can you tell us, Josh, what escalates an official to call that penalty versus, say, unsportsmanlike conduct or something to that effect. Yeah, typically you're looking at something that's directed towards an on-ice official there, and there's a lot of leeway. The referees typically give a lot of room for players. They understand it's competitive and everybody's fired up, and, and some players are very, very uh, frustrated with a penalty call. Certainly they don't want to put their team at a disadvantage, and, and they may disagree so you often grant quite a bit of leeway to allow a guy to vent or to just blow up and knowing that it's just the heat of the game. It's it's that moment. And, you know, later on, you might talk to the guy. It won't be something that carries through. This is just a momentary thing. And I think many of the officials do their best to try to give these guys room to blow off steam. You're going to warn guys when they're arguing with you or they're chatting too much or, or they're protesting and, and what's going on out there. And there's always that give and take between officials and players. So I have to assume, Todd, that something more was said because the rule for it for abuse of officials, and this is not not physical abuse, but 39-2, a minor penalty for any player who challenges or disputes an official's ruling or uses obscene language or gestures directed at any on-ice official. So, I mean, we, we see that on a night-in, night-out basis. Challenging or disputing the ruling of an official is is something that I think we expect on most penalty calls. But it's it's when you go past that line that you need to whistle the guy down. And it's for two reasons. It's because his contact is inappropriate. It's because his conduct is inappropriate. And it's because you want to make sure that everybody else on both benches sees that that conduct is inappropriate. So you're trying to de-escalate the situation so things don't get worse. The official in this case was referee Kelly Sutherland, veteran, one of the league's top guys, one of the best communicators on the ice, 
probably ever in the National Hockey League. So this is not something that comes out of the blue. This is not something that is without previous warnings, previous discussion. Uh, if you find any of the mic'd up clips that we have on scoutingtherefs.com, even from years back, you can always hear Sutherland chatting with the players to let them know, you know, concerns around the crease, watch the sticks, things like that. So he's always in communication. Have to imagine that some things had been said to tell guys to watch certain language, watch certain things out there, or that certain other calls had been disputed earlier in the game. But this typically... You don't see it without a warning unless it's particularly egregious. And knowing that it was Sutherland, I have to imagine that something was said prior to this penalty being called. All right. So with something very explicit and or dramatic said, this also makes me want to have more of the, how should we say, unfiltered mic'd up sessions out on the ice. Don't oh, you think that would be enlightening? I would love it. The NHL would hate it, but I would love it. And <laughs> I think fans would really get a better appreciation for what the officials do as far as communicating with the other players out there and what they get back from the players on the yes. ice because there's a lot of positive communication. There's a lot of good back and forth, and there's a lot that is, is maybe less less positive. Maybe some airing of grievances while on the ice. Uh, clearly, there's some airing of grievances that takes place out on the ice. Okay, one more. And this one will go the international route to wrap things up this week. It happened in the Channel One Cup with Finland and Russia. The game was tied at four late. Team Russia decides they're going to go for it. They pull the goaltender. And of course, what happens is the Finns poke the puck loose. One of their players is off on a breakaway. A Russian defender chases from behind and swipes the puck away but also takes down the Finnish player and is assessed a penalty. In this case, no goal was scored, but a goal actually counted. Josh, explain to us how this can be. This was a fun one. Man, what a crazy ending to a game. First of all, pulling your goalie in overtime, which I, I understand is a strategy that some of the Russian coaches have adopted with, with some degree of success in the KHL, seemed batty to me but i guess when you can go four on three you're you're going to take that chance that you can actually win the game with that man advantage so you've got the goaltender pulled and that opens up a different set of circumstances when it comes to empty net penalties the nhl rulebook is a little bit different from the double ihf rulebook in both cases if you've got a guy going in on a breakaway on an empty net and there's a penalty that would result in a penalty shot it's typically an awarded goal and that applies to both leagues where it differs a little bit is when you have a play that wouldn't necessarily be a penalty shot. And in both leagues, you don't award a penalty shot when you knock the puck away first, as was done in this case. So it still can be a penalty. It would be a tripping penalty. But now that the player is no longer in possession of the puck at the time that they're tripped, it doesn't justify a penalty shot. It doesn't meet the criteria. So instead of a penalty shot, the outcome of this play would have been a tripping penalty. Now, we could be looking at that in the NHL as a penalty and the team goes on the power play the double ihf rulebook specifically calls for when the goalie is pulled and a player in control of the puck in the neutral zone is tripped with nobody between them and the net it is an awarded goal so whether or not you got the puck first didn't matter in this case it was a great play great defensive work to knock the puck away before the player was tripped and had the goalie been in there would have had a different outcome but with the netminder pulled in international hockey that is immediately an awarded goal so a game winning overtime goal where the puck never crossed the line. It's crazy to me. <laughs> so no puck for the player, no goalie in the net actually means a goal. 
<laughs> Boy, for the, the goal judge, uh, you know, just, just sitting there to hit the button for this one of like, well, no, <laughs> didn't go in, nothing happened. I'll just wait for the ref to point and then hit the button. And just a, an anticlimactic end to an overtime game that actually let Finland win the cup. So uh, you know, congratulations to them. But to win a tournament without even scoring the game winning goal yourself. <laughs> that, that one's going to be a weird one in the stats book, I'm thinking. I don't I don't think Finland's going to make a postage stamp with this one. On. <laughs> yeah, probably not. The Scouting the Refs podcast is brought to you by Manscaped. Get 20% off and free shipping with code REFS at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code REFS. That's R-E-F-S. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped.